Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin, and joining us for this latest conversation in our Purpose Driven Business series is Carol Cohn, founder of the firm Carol Cohn on Purpose. She is regarded the mother of social purpose, working for 25 years to build partnerships between companies, brands, and social issues for deep business and societal impact. Welcome, Carol. Thank you for having me to the show, and, and I'm thrilled to be talking about my favorite topic. Well, let me ask you about that. What, what is a purpose-driven business? Isn't the, the purpose to serve the bottom line, the shareholder? Is there something beyond that? Oh, actually, I'm so glad that you asked that because it was Milton Friedman in the late 70s who said the purpose of the corporation is just to serve the shareholders. Um, But that in in a world where we have total transparency and we have so much choice, Um, And we also recognize that we have climate challenges and social challenges and, um, you know, economic challenges uh, that companies today who are going to win in the marketplace, whether they're a B2C or B2B, they stand for something beyond the bottom line that's based in humanity. And simply put, companies today are recognizing what's our core competency And how can we take that competency and apply it to either society or the environment? And when they do that, they have a a, a profound purpose, a reason for being that lights up their employees, their customer relationships, their community relationships, their consumer relationships. It really allows them to fulfill their full potential. The Unilever CEO, Paul Pullman, has said that what people think say and do should be aligned. And that might be obvious, but is this the essence of a business that has worked to develop and express its purpose? Well, well, let me first say that um, I had the joyous opportunity to work uh, with uh, Unilever. Um, I got to meet Paul Pullman a number of times. And he actually, in all the thousands of encounters he's had with people, he's sent people my way. So he does recognize Um, that I do have this expertise and purpose. And um, this alignment of what the company stands for, you can't just say we stand for it. You have to act. And so when he says that people should think, say, and do and have this alignment, and when you have a purpose that is beyond making a profit, that's where you truly, again, ignite your stakeholders your shareholders, your stakeholders to truly perform to, you know, the wildest levels beyond their their wildest dreams. Well, Carol, I wonder how many of us know whether our company stands for something. That's a great question. And I believe that, you know, um, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. And, you know, I always, when I started my company, and you were very kind when you said 25 years, I started my company in 1980. I was pretty young. Um, And I didn't know what I stood for. But about three years into it, I recognized that I wanted, I love branding, I love marketing, and I loved the social challenges of the day. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and we had the Vietnam War in our face, and we had the Civil Rights Movement. 
And, and I just felt that companies could take their assets and make them work harder for society. And so my purpose I found when I was very young was to help elevate the purpose of companies and brands, as well as professionals, students, and such. So a company must understand what it, you know, stand for something because you talk about it as that North Star. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? Mm-hmm. And when you do that, and then you add dimensionality to it, it, it just becomes this, this ignition for just performance and possibility. Well, let's say that we want to build a purpose-driven organization from the ground up. What, what building blocks, what kinds of tools do we need to make that happen? Well, it's important, and usually if you're going to build it from the ground up, you're probably a small, nascent company, or you find a company. I'll, I'll tell you a great story. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very, it's fascinating. It's, it's about a company called Charlotte Pipe. And Charlotte Pipe makes pipes. They make clay pipes and metal pipes for water and for, you know, basically mostly water municipalities and for people who have farms and things like that. And, the, and you know, you'd think, how can a company that makes pipes have a purpose? But, you know, it was about, it was a family-owned firm, and they decided one day to say, you know what? We're going to make the best pipes ever in the world. And not only are we going to make them so that they are just the top quality and all the parts and bits, you know, they integrate with each other and they perform. We're going to give great warranties and we're also going to have great, great policies for our employees. So our employees not only get a fair wage and they get, you know, health benefits and such, but they know at the end of the day that they can stand behind no matter where they are in the process of making these pipes because we're going to make the best pipes in the world. And so sometimes your purpose can be something as simple as just terrific quality and then making sure that your employees, because employees are the number one stakeholder to support and to build companies that truly overperform. So, and they just did that and they had these great values and they lived the values and they lived their integrity daily. And it was an amazing company and they made pipes. You know, that, that's a lot different than, I mean, but think about Unilever, Unilever and Dove. You know, Dove was basically soap, it was a white bar of soap. You know, it didn't really have many attributes that differentiated it. But one day, some of the marketers at Dove, they did a major piece of research around the globe. And they had like, oh, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of pages from this research. And they were asking about women and beauty and how they felt about themselves. But there was this one little, little teeny tiny fact. And the fact was that it was something like only 4% of women worldwide feel beautiful. And so some really, really smart person at Unilever said, you know what? We're going to take that fact, because we're selling to women, right? And we want women to feel good. And they started the campaign for real beauty. And it's been around now for over oh, I got 15 or 18 years now. And they supported all sorts of ways in a realistic way to help women feel confident and good about themselves. And that beauty was on the inside. It wasn't just on the outside. 
And that became one of the first purpose-driven brands at Unilever. And now Unilever is certainly the gold standard company that anybody will study to truly understand. They have brands that have superhuman powers. And then they have brands that have the take-on causes that might be one step removed. But their purpose is to make sustainable living commonplace. And they touch 2.5 billion, with a B, people a day with their products, whether it's Nor soups, or whether it's dirt is good laundry detergent, or whether it's Ben and Jerry's ice cream, or whether it's Lifebuoy soap. And each one of those brands, they have about 30 brands that are now purposeful. Those brands grow about 70% faster than their non-purpose brands, and they return over 75% of the profit to the company because they stand for something more than just features and benefits. Well, I'm guessing that it takes a lot of thought, discussion, debate to work through this process, and there may be some impatience involved in the meantime. Absolutely. How much, yep. how much time reasonably should we give ourselves to allow for the development of a clear statement of purpose? Well, first of all, I love that you said debate. Because a purpose is only as good if it's authentic to the organization, its values, and the people within that organization. So we've had, and we've worked with companies to develop their purpose. Um, and we've also um, helped companies evolve their purpose. So we've just studied them. And it takes anywhere from, to do it well, six months to years. It could be a couple of years. And what's really important, because you asked about like what building blocks and tools do you need, you need to ask some really good questions. And it needs to be not just the C-suite, not just the CEO, the CMO, the chief human resources person, the CFO, et cetera. It also needs the guy and the gal on the factory floor. And it's harder to get them because they may not have computers. But, you know, we have worked with a company that had 47,000 people around the globe. They had over 100 different locations. And we did everything from we did phone interviews with their entire leadership team around the globe, an hour each, and that was 200. So that, that was a lot of time. Um, but I will tell you, I had such, that company was so authentic and it had such ethos and soul I only had out of 200, because I did most of those calls, I only had five duds, five that were really boring. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to that, we went around the globe and we traveled to eight different locations from China to Malaysia to Costa Rica and Brazil and the United States and Ireland and such. And we did workshops and focus groups. And so we had like the, you know, the leadership interviews, we had the focus groups. And the focus groups had people from the factory floor. So we got conversations going about, you know, what do we stand for? What are our, our core expertise? What's it like when, on a daily basis when we're at our best? What are the, some of the challenges that when we don't do well? Who do we admire, maybe in our industry or outside of our industry, who truly knows what they stand for and has fabulous cultures and really accelerated sales, but who also is helping the local community or who's got great environmental programs. So there's more questions than that, but those are some of the core questions to ask. And then you need to debate. 
And then you need to say, you know, how, how, uh, let's say, bold are we? We want to take on the world with our purpose, but we want to take on something that's more conservative. That's another part of the tools that we utilize. We have a process that I developed probably about 25 years ago that, you know, um, it's no longer guessing. There's truly a way that you can be a guide. And so anybody who's listening, there are ways to follow so that you're not just guessing because you don't want to guess at this. It's too important. Well, I visited your your blog, Carol, and I saw that you've written that authentic purpose equals thoughtful, real, and sustained actions that impact the business internally and externally while also having that positive impact on society that you talked about earlier. Does does this boil down to to nurturing a culture of transparency, accountability, honesty, and integrity, those kinds of things? Well, when we talk authentic purpose, um, we did a piece of research. Um, I've done about 30 pieces of research over the last 30 years because I, when I started doing this work, I make the joke that, that I could have had a conversation about purpose um, at a table for four or six. And uh, American Express was doing this work early on um, where they had a promotion where if you use the American Express card, they would donate a penny or two to the restoration of the Statue of Liberty. And that was kind of the first big cause program. Um, so in the early days, no one was talking about this. Um, today, because of the internet, because anybody can check up the reputation of a company, you know, what are the customers saying? What are you know, what are they getting three stars or zero stars? Um, do they, you know, they, do they stand behind their products or services? So I, this is last summer, I got really, really angry because there was a lot of uh, dare I say, purpose washing, green washing, pink washing, and and part of that also came from this research that we did called the B two B purpose paradox, and it's on our website. Um, uh, you know, Carol Cohn on purpose, and um, we asked um, businesses in the B two B realm. They were financial services, manufacturing, healthcare, technology, etc. And we said, Do you have a purpose? And the and eighty six percent said yes. We have a purpose. We know what we stand for. And I was like, what? There's no way because the B two B world trails the B two C world. But when we asked some deeper questions, to peel back the onion, and we asked, do you activate? Do you have an authentic purpose that you bring into your employees and your innovation and your operations? Only twenty four percent truly had activated it. So getting back to this essay that I wrote last year um, about authentic purpose, it does boil down to walking the talk, living your values, integrating why do you exist? Like if you're going to be Unilever and make sustainable living commonplace, what are your sustainability practices internally? What are your sustainability practices with your supply chain? How do you treat the farmers in Madagascar? who are harvesting vanilla beans, you know, do you, is there a fair wage, et cetera. So you need to walk the talk and it, yes, you need a culture that is transparent, that has high integrity and that there's honesty. And you know what? You're not going to be perfect. That's the other thing I really want to share with anybody listening who's on a purpose journey. It is a journey. You know, Unilever's had, they had the wonderful Dove campaign for real beauty, but they also had some missteps with Dove. 
some big, bad missteps. Um, and But you know what? Most of the time, their integrity is there. So, the, so a consumer or even an employee gives them the benefit of a doubt. I'm going to dig further into that in just a few minutes. But uh, I want to ask you first, uh, has this coronavirus pandemic kind of served to underscore uh, the value and even maybe the necessity of engaging in those thoughtful, real, and sustained actions that uh, you were talking about? Well, first of all, um, companies, the first thing that companies had to do during COVID is that they had to address the safety of their employees. And thank God that most companies did. Even if they didn't have the world's deepest purpose or greatest community relationships, they recognized that they had to, if they let people work from home, and you saw companies with 50,000, 100,000 employees pivot almost on a dime to let people work from home. The greater challenges were, were companies that had to keep people in their plants and they had to manufacture. And, you know, could they get PPE? And could they socially distance and such? So COVID accelerated companies that were values-driven. And I would say it, so it also accelerated decision-making, which was really, really, really interesting because, you know, companies per se, the larger they get, the slower they get in decision-making, they get more people involved, they get very conservative. And COVID really pushed companies forward quickly so, for example, you had an AB InBev that, you know, all of a sudden they took their manufacturing from beer and they were making um, hand sanitizer. Same thing with P&G. Um, they had over 200 different um, NGOs around the globe they were working with, and they immediately pivoted to help them not only survive, but to make, again, PPE, hand sanitizer, things like that. So COVID has really brought to the fore, why does a business exist? And companies that truly, truly rose to the occasion and helped their employees and then helped the community and then started helping small businesses survive and, and really, you know, help all of us, you know, with mental health problems or doing a lot of food. I mean, you know, there were so many families going hungry and tons and tons and tons of, of food drives and such. COVID did, I believe, showed the humanity of companies. And I don't think that companies can go backwards once they've done that. And I think the smartest companies will build on that. Yeah, we, we thought we knew what a game changer was before COVID, didn't we? And right. <laughs> so, Carol, in, in those discussions and the debate that we talked about earlier, is it ever asked, how do we address the needs of our customers quality-wise and price-wise while also remaining nimble enough in this ever-changing world that you just talked about to sustain our relevance? I use the word innovation because for a company's customers to be at the top of their game, to have quality. And if you think about Alltech and the ingredients, what Alltech is research-based and it's constantly looking at what are the, the elements in its products that will help to create um, natural uh, appropriate faster growth of whether it's it's a poultry or whether it's um, beef or such in a way that is nutrient dense that, that again is natural and so that a company must focus on innovation and you're seeing today that purpose-led companies have incubators that they're funding 
innovation incubators. And again, you can go to, um, I know the Mars company has one. I know that AB InBev. I know that um, Unilever, um, P&G, the, the big General Mills, the big companies have these incubators on the side because they're really looking for that next new idea to keep them relevant and to benefit their customers. You uh, referenced earlier the C-suite and and uh, bringing in folks from the, the factory floor to the conversation. And so I'm wondering, uh, in terms of employee, in terms of employee engagement, why is purpose important to everybody from top to bottom? You know, I always like to say, what gets you up in the morning to go to work? You get up in the morning, so I'm going to make money for XYZ CEO. Or, you know, do you get up in the morning because you're going to make the best darn leather boots that anybody's ever made? And those leather boots are going to be, you know, they're made of all natural ingredients per se, and they give you tremendous support and they allow you, they don't have a tread that marks the, um, the path. So you're going to leave no tread behind. Now, of course, I'm making this up per se, but the point is, Having this greater reason for being just allows an individual at any level to, and it's really funny when you talk to CFOs, and I've seen CFOs that love the purpose of their company. They are just lit. And it's it's really, really, in addition to the person on the factory floor. And so it just gives you that energy and that North Star. You're looking up to the stars to say, I'm doing something to better my neighborhood, my community, my city, my country, or the world. Sure, it's it's so to be inside of a purpose-driven company. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you another great example. It's it's one of my proudest moments. That early on, I worked with a company called the Rockport Shoe Company, and um, their CEO he came to me and he said, "I really want to build my company on something different." He didn't have a lot of money, but he had these really, really unique shoes. And they were Nike innards, so they had like these athletic innards, but they had street shoe outers. And nobody had ever done that before. And so they were ahead of their time. They were a little bulky looking. But, you know, for a year, it took me a year to find some gem, some reason that these shoes were just more than shoes. And the CEO gave me a little clue. We would go to the trade shows and we'd have these beautiful pictures of people walking in his shoes, walking in a field, walking down a city street, walking in the neighborhood. And he didn't say, I want to become the walking shoe company, but he did have these pictures. And so one day I realized, I did some research and I realized there's no walking shoes for fitness and for health. And so long story short, we had a fellow who walked around the country. He talked to kids. He um, said, eat properly, don't smoke and walk. He walked 11,208 miles in every state. We then flew him back to Massachusetts to the University of Massachusetts. They had a health and fitness um, uh, facility to study his health because he was going to be the world's first longest walking experiment. And when he finished... Not only was he wicked healthier, but we had a book, we had a movie, and we had a lot of data that said walking for health and fitness was really good for you. 
And we continued to create a walking institute and walking tests and all sorts of walking information. Rockport renamed itself the Walking Shoe Company. Walking became the nation's newest fitness activity. It became a billion-dollar categories at retail. And Rockport grew eight times in four years. They were wildly successful, and then Reebok bought them. But it was giving, and and I'll tell you, they had, and this thing about feeling really different. Um, One day I was out in the the loading dock area and I happened to like listen in to a guy that was taking boxes off of a UPS truck. And the UPS truck asked this this employee, he was like a guy that was like, you know, 24 years old, what's this company, Rockport? What do you do here? And and, and this, this young man, he stopped and his chest kind of puffed up. And he said, I work for Rockport. We're the walking shoe company. (laughs) And, you know, the company not only made walking shoes, but they gave their employees a free pair of shoes. They gave them a walking book. They gave them time to walk during the day. And it just gave that young man and then the entire company a reason for being far beyond just selling a shoe. And it just made me, and that was, that was, kicking off my purpose career. And then we did Reebok and Human Rights and Avon and Breast Cancer and PNC Financial Services and Early Childhood Education. And we reinvented the Aflac duck, you know, the big Aflac duck mm-hmm. that says, Aflac! <laughs> well, they donated $125 million to pediatric cancer, and but the two did not meet. But we knew that kids who went through pediatric cancer had a thousand days of, of treatments. And they were lonely and they were it's sick and they were scared. And so we invented a social robot that helped those children. It was a companion for children that they could interact with and they could put emoji cards on it and the duck would quack against their feelings. So those kids wouldn't be alone. And Aflac was reborn in terms of its purpose and its engagement with society. And it helped also grow their sales tens of millions of dollars because they created something called My Special Aflac Duck, a social robot to help kids going through a really hard time with cancer. So purpose, and when you find that purpose, and it's just an extraordinary accelerant to um, alignment between all your stakeholders and then growth. Well, let's stay in the C-suite for just a moment. And, and if you would describe for us the traits of that successful leadership team that's, that's authentic and credible in the way that it models purpose in an organization and creates what you were just talking about, employee buy-in. And, and you know, I'm glad you say that, that how do they model it? Mm-hmm. Because a company that has a purpose must walk the talk. So people, if you're going to sell to a diverse consumer base, you need to have diversity of people working for you, get better ideas, get better energy. So it's walking the talk so that when you talk about your values of um, being innovative or listening to everyone's ideas, um, you need to activate them and you need to model the behaviors day in and day out. And um, it's coaching. It's um, it's mentoring, it's innovating, um, and it's also taking what you stand for down to your supply chain. So it could be such as what Alltech does. You know, they have this amazing commitment to Haiti, to the poorest of the poor in Haiti, where they're sourcing mm-hmm. coffee, because they want to help 
you know, individuals, farmers, their coffee farmers have a better life. And then they go sell that at retail and they put the money back into it. It's, it's cause-related marketing and such. But there are these virtuous circles that companies are recognizing that they, they have to be. And today, especially with millennials and Gen Z, um, that there's choice about where you work. And people don't want to park their values at the door. They want to work for a values-based company that's not only going to help with their training, but also at the end of the day, when you when you leave the office or you go home into your family or to to like you know the the local soccer game or something, you talk about like I remember again going back to Rockport. I work at Rockport. I work at the walking shoe company, and and if there's a pride, you can't put a dollar amount on that pride. And companies today, it is now becoming. It used to be just the early adopters, the Ben and Jerry's and the body shops and such. It is now the mainstream that companies are recognized that they want to attract the best and brightest. And the best, I'll give you another example, Tata Consultancy Services, they're the world's largest information technology company. They have 450,000 employees. They're, um, they're based in India, but they're all over the world. They are larger than Accenture and IBM. And when they bring in employees, they spend three months going through training learning about the culture and then their first customer it's not a customer it's a not-for-profit and so they allow their new employees to really feel their integrity and their values in action it's extraordinary and their turnover rate is barely anything their retention is 87 to 89 percent wow unheard of in companies Mm -hmm. it's because they live their values from the very, from recruiting to retention, from the highest senior levels to the factory full. Well, they don't really have factories because they have software. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Carol, I made a mental note uh, to return to something that you brought up earlier in our conversation. And and also going back to your blog, you you note there that uh, there's recent research that finds that 65% of consumers want businesses to take a stand on issues that are important to them, and that rate goes up to 74% among 18 to 39-year-olds. We're in fraught times. How does a policy of purpose inform how an organization responds to these forces, what it stands for? Does, does, does this include making clear what it opposes? This is okay. So activism and advocacy is very hard for companies today. Mm -hmm. It's really hard because no matter what side you're going to pick, you're always going to have your detractors. So what the first thing we say to, to any of our clients is don't just jump in that you need to look at what do you stand for at the core And then you need to decide whether you're going to be bold and you're going to stick your neck out as Nike did with Colin Kaepernick. But, you know, I knew when Nike did that, Nike is a bad boy company. Now, they're also about women these days, too. But, um, you know, that that doing what they did with Colin Kaepernick, you know, everybody said, oh, they're losing all this money in their stock price, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, their stock price took a hit, but then it went then it went right back up and through the roof. Because they they walked their talk, they lived on their values, and you know they're not perfect. Um, they had a lot of issues with women, and now they're trying to be much more equitable with women. Um, 
So, but a company's got to look at its core and it is, it's a tough decision to make. It truly is in terms about standing out. And I think DE and I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's where, you know, companies today, they know they have to act, but they also have to understand, they have to start with their policies internally. And do they have equitable pay? Do they have equitable advancement? You know, and they have to start there. And a lot of companies just are looking at, you know, the terms that the words they use and the way that they advance people. They've got to start really at home. So corporate activism regarding, you know, you got to be really, really careful. And there's no one roadmap to follow. You know, you also want to look at, um, do you want to be left behind? So, um, again, there's no easy answer to this. But you certainly need to look at your history and how you've acted and what your internal policies are before you take a stand at all. But is it your sense of it that any success in recruiting the best new generation of talent is going to depend on a company's willingness to respond to these social, political, and environmental dynamics? I, well, I think we have to – you don't have to respond to them all because if you respond to all things, you will stand for nothing. That's the first thing. Climate and the environment, I think it's fairly indisputable that you've got companies today in their ESG, their environmental, their social, and their governance um, approaches, um, that environmentally they have to cut their, their carbon footprint. They have to be more environmentally uh, you know, um, sensitive. And there's lots of innovation that comes out of that, which is great. And, and we are turning to an electric economy, which is exciting. And, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to Mary Barra. It has nothing to do with this, with this podcast, this interview, but Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, they are going to stop making um, combustion engines by 2035. They're not going to make them anymore for regular cars and light duty vehicles. Like, oh my God, they're going to go all electric. That's so exciting. So, um, you know, I think that companies, they DE&I, you're going to have to respond. But how you respond and the level and the, and the, goals, the, the, the goals that you set and how you measure and report back, you know, that's as important. You don't have to go from zero to 60 instantly, but you need to make steady progress. Um, the level of your boldness depends on, again, your culture. I also think that there's going to be, because I've talked to a lot of um, my colleagues who are in the C-suite, and they say that there's going to be this next generation of leadership the next gen, the Mary Barras, who's very on the cutting edge, um, you know, she started out as an engineer at, at General Motors, um, you know, a woman running a car company, how, my God, um, and she's fabulous. I mean, she's really, really great. And Indra Nui, who ran PepsiCo, and she really helped them, you know, she had a philosophy of performance with purpose. And they, you know, decided to make better for you drinks and, and less sugar and salt in their snacks and things like that. And, and they're on a wonderful journey, too. So um, there's going to be a new generation of leadership that recognizes that you cannot be successful in a society that's unhealthy. And so you will see dramatic changes happening again and again and again. Well, you know, the Unilever chief, Paul Pullman, has said that leaders need to have the courage to show that they're vulnerable, they're willing to ask for help, which would seem to counter the historical notion of leadership where just the opposite has been expected. Has the world become more receptive to a more down-to-earth, more accessible servant leadership style? 
I love that you talked about servant leadership because in the earliest days when I started doing this work, um, there was a guy named Jack Stack. And if anybody knows, read his book. It was about open book management and leadership, but it was very much about servant leadership. And, so, and there's a company that I have one of my podcasts um, called uh, Lineage Logistics. And nobody knows them. They're, they're about a $3 billion B2B. They are cold storage refrigeration um, warehousing. And they handle uh, from field to fork about one-third of the food in the United States and about one-tenth of the food around the globe. And their leader um, knew that, you know, I've got people in heavy coats in cold storage facilities and they're wearing boots and this is not glamorous. But he recognized that he needed to have a purpose and their purpose is basically the shorthand is to feed the world. It's also to stop food waste, but it's to feed the world. And he's applying, it's really interesting when you talk to him, because he's applying, he wants to be the, the greatest technological cold storage facility, you know, around the globe. And they have all sorts of innovations. But he treats his employees, he's got a great CHRO. And um, I interviewed him on my show. And they talked about servant leadership. And they talked about, if you think about your traditional um, pyramid, so you've got the C-suite at the top and you've got all the, you know, the, the worker bees at the bottom. Servant leadership flips that. It has the workers at the top and it has the C-suite at the bottom. And that's what lineage does. They are there to serve their employees, to give them great benefits, to give them opportunities to grow, to give them an understanding that they are helping to feed the world. And actually during COVID, what they did, they did this wonderful thing about collaborating with all of their customers and they created this um, goal to feed 100 million meals to people during COVID through Feeding America. Wow. And, and, you know, and again, their cold storage of food that, you know, they've got all these, you know, like forklifts mm -hmm. that are driving around. <laughs> it is not glamorous. But their people feel, my God, I get up in the morning because I am, I am helping with food waste and I'm feeding the world. And Greg Lemuel, who's the CEO, he gets it, that their purpose is at their core, it's the soul of their company, and that he is there to serve his employees. So you are spot on. And I love that Paul Pullman, you know, he, he's gone on from, from Unilever, and he's um, doing wonderful, really collaborative work with, with big industry groups. Like he'll take the, he's got like, I don't know, 25 companies in apparel, and they're trying to totally reinvent the apparel industry, dyes and, and things like that. And, and courage is really important. You've got to have courage to do this. But when you do it, this is how you reinvent. It's called stakeholder-based capitalism. And it's truly, you know, taking Milton Friedman and turning him on his head. Just saying it's not about when you do all these other things right to your stakeholders, then you make the profit. And then you serve your shareholders, but you serve all your other constituents. It sounds like it's a matter of being comfortable in your own skin and developing a, a really powerful sense of confidence. It is a powerful sense of confidence. And then you also need to, the other thing is that you can't go for the short term. So one of the things that Paul Pullman did is that he said, you know, he's not going to report quarterly earnings, which was shocking. And he basically said, if you don't like my, if you don't like the way I'm reporting, then don't buy my stock. <laughs> and and it's hard for companies who are public who are, who 
you know, you have to give guidance, you have to report quarterly. But this is a game, the purpose game and the stakeholder-based capitalist approach and strategy. It's not a game game, but I'm using that as, you know, euphemist, um, is that you've got to have the long view because the innovations you're going to bring, the, you know, how you're going to serve the climate and society, you've got to take a longer view. You just can't, you know, purpose, you can't flip a switch on purpose. You can't turn it on and off. Going back to something else that you raised earlier in our conversation, Carol, and and, uh, apologies for this cliche, but they say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Do you think it's possible for a purpose-driven organization to influence the cultures and the behaviors and achieve alignment among the companies within its supply chain? I, I, well, you know who did that incredibly well? Oh, boy. You know, take a, take a page from the book of Walmart. Hmm. I mean, Walmart decided, and I was at one of these meetings at, um, I think it was Business for Social Responsibility. And they said, and, and, and Walmart's doing this in a number of ways. They're saying that you have to report on your environmental footprint, per se. And you're going to get, you know, there are all these reports you have to do, et cetera, et cetera. And based on how you come out, you will get a, a, your position on the shelf. And everybody wants that, you know, eye level position, et cetera, et cetera. That was a game changer. That was a game changer. And so you've got these, we call them market makers. You've got these big organizations who say, like General Motors, we're not, you know, it's their own product, but we're not going to sell combustion engines. Well, think how the downstream is on that. Think about, oh, God, we're going to have to have all these charging stations. We're going to have to have all these new battery companies. That's cool. But think about the other stuff that's going to be antiquated. But there's amazing things that are happening where companies are really utilizing their, you know, Starbucks. And Starbucks changed the entire coffee farmer industry by, you know, determining that they were going to pay them a fair wage. And then they communicated the heck out of it. Starbucks is my favorite company vis-a-vis employees. Their employees are their number one stakeholder, one, two, three, four, and five. Just brilliant, brilliant things they do. When it starts at the top of the chain at Walmart or, or at Amazon or wherever, does it? do you see it rippling through the supply chain and, and influencing the, uh, the, the policies of those companies that are within the chain? Well, I, I don't know about the policies. I think it certainly influences the products. And if indeed companies that wanted to sell at Walmart, they had to report on their carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, it changed the policies, okay. or they didn't, or they couldn't sell there, or they got, a, got they got bad positioning in the shelf. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, back to the pandemic. It, it's this has been an overwhelming thing in our lives for more than a year now, and we're really not out of the woods yet. And some are now saying, in fact, the New York Times has proclaimed on its front page that remote work is here to stay. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, what kinds of challenges do this, does this present to a uh, purpose-driven organization? I think this is tremendous, tremendous opportunities because um, standing for something besides just making widgets or being on a Zoom call all day. Um, For example, there's virtual volunteering. And um, a major piece of research just came out of CCP, which is Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose, called Value Volunteering. It's going to be one of my podcasts. It's going to air in about a month. And basically, volunteering is helping individuals stay connected to the company, even if it's just, you know, on a Zoom screen. Um, Or we will eventually be able to to do volunteering in our communities 
with and you know with masks and ultimately you know without masks and micro volunteering and larger volunteering. So purpose is going to be that golden thread that ties people to the company. I think it's more important than ever. Well, Carol, a final question for you: What sort of world exists in the future in which purpose-driven business has become the norm? It, 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 hopefully, it's not nirvana. Hopefully, it's not a dream. Um, <laughs> The companies will have their their they will be more efficient, they will be more human, they will be more um, environmentally sensitive. They will make wicked cool innovations that are going to be um, you know responding to social issues and environmental issues, and we will have greater solutions to the problems that confront us on a daily basis, and work will be more joyous. That is for sure. So do you think there's a good chance we could be happier people? I think we'll be more fulfilled. I don't think we're going to be happy all the time, but I think that being satisfied and, and having greater fulfillment, I think that that's going to be a great result from oh. having a lot more purpose in all of our companies, both big and small, B2B, B2C, local, national, and global. I'll take it. Carol Cohn, founder of the consultancy Carol Cohn on Purpose. Thank you so much, Carol. We appreciate your time. I, I had it was joyful. It was great, and thank you so much. And I'm Tom Martin, and we thank you for listening. This has been Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>